0: Before a show, how best to market, advertise, and publicize that show to entice audiences to come and see it. Hi, I'm Gordon Cox from Variety for the American Theatre Wing, and joining us today to tell us how that process works are four of the top people in those fields. Broadway publicist John Barlow, Damian Bazadonna, CEO and founder of Situation Interactive, Nancy Coyne, CEO and founder of Sereno Coyne, and Drew Hodges. CEO and founder of SpotCo. Welcome. Thank you. Uh, I was wondering if we could start uh, by talking about what makes marketing or and or advertising and or publicizing a theatre event unique versus selling, say, a movie or any other product?
1: Well, for one thing, our products, the products that we market and sell, can disappear on Saturday night. So there's a, a lot of pressure to sell it right, right off the bat. You don't have the luxury of multiple campaigns. An advertising agency, a marketing firm will do a campaign, introduce a, a, a product, and they then have the rest of that product's life to, to sell it. We are obliged to make it work right from the start. There's no second chances, no, no chance to do another campaign if that show doesn't work right from the beginning.
2: and and move all the tickets on a given night as well. Ajax can sit on the shelf all week, but Tuesday night's inventory is gone by by 8.05 on Tuesday night. So it's it's even about, to take it one step further, selling everything we have performance per performance.
3: I would also say that if you look at other entertainment, like a movie, they 're lifting an actual piece of what 's there, and you can sample it and we 're now in a world of so much sampling and people want to know what they 're going to get for their money. But in all our worlds, we have to translate what was meant to happen in a certain place at a certain time into another medium so you know you take a clip from a film that that 's sort of the way the film 's meant to be seen. If you have a show performing outside in Times square that isn 't the way the show is necess- you have to adjust online advertising you know, you 're in print or any other place you have to make allowances for how that thing
4: should be expressed in a different medium than where it was meant to go, that's different. Well, I, I would just say, I think the, the market, uh, the people that we're often talking to, I think are sort of passionately involved in the brand, and there's like a certain level of expectations from theatergoers. Every time a new piece of artwork is, when you guys release a new piece of artwork on the message boards, there's hundreds of people sort of commenting on like what people think. They, so it seems like we're sort of held to a certain standard too, just by the theatre community. There's a, there's, a, there's a tight pool of people that attend theatre regularly, and they're, I don't know, I feel like they're just much more, uh, they're much more engaged, actually, in a lot of the marketing and advertising. Right, they're already fans.
1: I'm owned yeah. by a conglomerate that owns a lot of other ad agencies, and so I have conversations with those other CEOs of other agencies, and I think one of the biggest differences is how embedded we are in, the, in our client's business. We know everything about their numbers, how much how many tickets they sold yesterday. I know what my shows have done by today at the box office. So we function, I think, in many ways as much more than an advertising agency. We function as their marketing arm, if you will. We're almost part of there are people, clients who I think feel people in my agency work for them and not for a separate entity. And I like it that way. It's a good way but we are very much involved in so many aspects that a normal agency would not be involved in.
3: Particularly because if you were doing work for, I don't know, anything else, movie or sports team or any other kind of entertainment, there is a marketing arm that's on the client side that yeah. you're interacting with. Oftentimes, and yes, there are some of the larger Broadway producers that have marketing arms, but many of the people we work with, there isn't a market. we are the marketing arm. And so you're, you're functioning uh, in a much broader role than you might just to do an ad campaign. You're Which, analyzing, you're, and we're all working together, <coughs> I think probably more more you know, tightly than you often do on other kinds of projects.
1: And that's another thing that I, I think is, is terrific about our business. We deal with the people at the top we don't deal with layers. We're dealing with the equivalent of the CEO of Wicked or the CEO of Billy Elliot. There is no, nothing to cut through. It's so literally how
3: I got into it, was because I was doing records. And I remember there was one amazing idea, and I couldn't be on the floor in which the idea was presented, because I didn't know if clout. It was presented to Tommy Mottola at CBS. And they said, that's a great idea. You stay here. So, you know, now we don't, we don't have that. Have. We get to talk directly to the people, now, that also means educating the people that you're talking to, because they have really wide levels of sophistication and even interest, I guess, in marketing. Some people are fascinated by marketing, right. really committed to it. Some people, not
2: so much what they're about. Even, uh, I, that's what I love about publicity, is I think when a producer decides to produce, you know, Coffee Mug the Musical, they call a publicist. And they say, a year from now, I'm going to do Coffee Cup the Musical. I need you to announce this. And drafting a press release and sending it out and saying, you know, David Merrick has Coffee Cup next season, and he's gotten so-and-so to direct it, and it's, you know, that kind of intimacy, dealing with the producer that far out, that, you know, connectedly, is very, very exciting. And I think they worry, particularly my clients, and I would say all publicists, they worry about what's in the paper. the, but WHAT'S IN THE NEWSPAPERS is, IS OF GREAT IMPORT TO THEM. SO YOU'RE NOT DEALING WITH A LOT OF LAYERS LIKE YOU SAID. Yeah. YOU ARE yeah. REALLY DEALING WITH, YOU KNOW, THE TOP. AND THAT'S BEEN, that's been the, ONE OF THE RICHER parts. THAT'S
1: THE BIG PLUS. Something AND THE
3: CREATIVE. I MEAN, I HAVE TO SAY, IT'S SUCH A JOY. AGAIN, I REMEMBER WORKING ON ALBUM COVERS FOR Aerosmith. Thinks THINGS LIKE THAT. You, YOU WOULD BE SO LUCKY IF YOU SPOKE TO THE BAND ONCE. But we get to work with, you know, Baz Luhrmann's and Sam Mendezes and, I mean, directors and actors and people. And you really do get to work directly with some of the strongest creative people anywhere. And that's really rare. Um, I'm not sure there's any other field of entertainment that where you, or, or advertising in general, where you would actually have that kind of intimacy with the creatives.
1: I don't think any. And there's also no. the producers that do this. Sometimes they're in it for the money, but much more frequently they're in it for the art or the game of it. I mean, there's a there's a spirit that exists in meetings that you don't find in most ad meetings. It doesn't exist right. on Madison Avenue. And I, I now know, knowing more people on Madison Avenue, just how lucky I am.
4: I was just saying, one well, of the point is just that I think, I mean, for me personally, I think it's ex- it, it is exciting. There's really not much of bureaucracy that you have to work through. You can do these ideas. I mean, granted, we're on, a limited, we're on a limited budget, which typically runs into problems, but there's no, I, I don't feel like there's any concern of holding back an idea. And even if you don't know how it's going to happen, and this, I, I, the question i just throw at the table really quick is, just even in today's economic climate, I feel like a lot of the bigger ideas are more, possible to happen now than ever. I mean, I feel like some of the ideas that have just happened in the past year or two years, I just, feel, I just feel like this. the market itself and the producers are more willing to hear ideas we wouldn't put out in the past. It seems like now when you look at the sales cycle and the way things, people are, are buying closer in, there's lower advances in general. It just seems like the, I, I have a, sort of a good feeling about what's happening right now. I think it's always been an adventurous area. When I came into the
1: business, there had been one television commercial made for a Broadway show, and it was made by Bob Bob Fosse, and for Pippin, and I was hired by the then agency that handled every single Broadway show, and told to do television commercials. So, there's nobody had done this. And a lot of people had said, it can't be done. Bob Fosse did it anyway. And then it was wide open. And we made them for every musical and occasionally even for a play. So there have always been those moments in time where there was a breakthrough and something that had been heretofore unthinkable in this area breaks through, and all of a sudden, everyone has to have it. Because that is one of (laughs) the things. It's a very small business. It's a very small town. This might as well be Mitchell, South Dakota, as Broadway, New York. Once someone does something and it's successful, (laughs) everybody
2: does it. Yeah, no, it's true. Publicity hasn't changed Mm -hmm. all that much, to be honest. It's changed on the other side of the table, which is there are less people covering the theater. There are less television news critics, there are less print critics, there's less editorial coverage. Unless there are stars, it's a giant musical, or there's a scandal. In those cases, you, you sort of hear from everybody. But the actual technique has not really changed. I've done it for 22 years, and it is still – you have to be sometimes more creative, because there are fewer places to go. But the truth is, the machine works in a very similar way, and, uh, and I've kind of enjoyed that. You know, and ancillarily, I see it change and, and evolve, especially in the stuff that Damien does. Uh, and it's fascinating. But just sitting here, I feel, what, you know, a little, uh, it, it, it hasn't changed that much for me. And uh, I would go as far as to say most publicists would agree.
3: Whenever it's, people ask me what it's like, I say, you know, why I like it, I say, okay, there's still a few American dreams, right? The, you know, you can uh, hit the, the Home Run of the World Series. You could be an astronaut. You could, there are these American dreams that exist that still literally are out there, although they so sort of slowly whittle away. Broadway opening night still has that. It's kind of an amazing thing, but still people get that little dazzle, that sizzle. It's very. It can be very old school. You, know, you can be at a Broadway opening night and think, this could be the same night as 40 years ago in the Absolutely. same way. People waiting for the review. People Drinking too much, especially some shows, cartwheeling on the dance floor. Some
1: shows lend themselves very much to that. They're the, the, you know, the shows where you wouldn't look out of place wearing a tuxedo on an opening night. The opening night of The Producers was an an event show. Was an opening night that could have happened 40 years before. Right,
2: Guys and Dolls was like that too in '92. That kind of you just it, it, why I, I don't know, but it had that sense of occasion but and New Yorkness.
1: Dream the dream quality is I mean that's what we work in. We yeah, work I was just f- going
0: to ask how does that how do you find that translates into what you do?
1: Well, we're working with people who are at the best dreamers at the worst gamblers. So uh, in one way or another, they're not playing by the rules. If they were playing by the rules, they They wouldn't be doing a Broadway show. There is no no back end. There's no DVD distribution. There's no European sale. It makes no sense. It's practically un-American. You're spending all your money making this thing a performance, right? And it can only happen eight times a week, no matter how successful it is. You can't produce more. That's the American way. When you get something that's a hit, you make more of them. Well, we can't. And so who's going to do that? Dreamers and gamblers. And those are our clients. You talk to somebody who sells linoleum, and you think, oh, God, how did I get so lucky to be doing this? I'm selling dreams.
3: It also, it means it's more personal both ways, that when something goes well, there's such a sense of joy, and you're a part of it, and you, you watch dreams come true for the actors and the people, and you watch their lives change in a way that you would not get selling linoleum. And it also means that when, on occasion, at least, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but the three of us that each had to read a bad review to a client, bend the first one in there, and watch them crumble, and, and it's personal, and, it, and it's much more Uh, Devastating than you would ever get from uh, failed linoleum.
1: And and you know, my mother has said to me on occasion, "What are you so upset about? You didn't write it." And I said, "But it's what I do. It's what I do. It's it's and it 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 can be very. You don't leave it at five o'clock. There's no nine to five in this business."
2: And remembering that you you know, putting yourself (laughs) in their (laughs) shoes, no matter how many shows you do, you need to remember what it's like. For them, all the time, it's it's that crumbling review that you know, reading them a review and watching them crumble. You can never lose sight of the impact of that.
1: My you know. my worst story, and I tell this all the time, is Moose Murders, the playwright whose name I can't remember, but let's say it was yeah. Gordon Cox. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, you won't take a personal it personally. No no, 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 you can't right, remember any it no, no, kind exactly, of information. No, he doesn't. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. I'm sitting with him in my conference room. He's got a little tuxedo and a little bow tie. There's everybody sitting there. And Dennis Cunningham, who I have spoken to about this, comes on Channel 2 and says, if your name is Gordon Cox or anything like Gordon Cox, you need to change your name and leave town. And this guy goes, to, goes like this, and I say, <laughs> We've had worse reviews. (laughs) (laughs) There have been worse reviews. Shows that have run with worse reviews (laughs) than that.
2: Right. But it's really awful. It's pretty bad. That's awful. It would be hard to stick around if you didn't have a passion for it. So you are working with people every day. Your clients, your uh, staffs, your – that love it, you know, and, and wanted to make a life on Broadway. So there's this immediate cohesion that's really pretty thrilling.
4: I, I'll just say, I actually get, because ar- I, I don't come from a theatrical background, and I sort of, in some respects, I sort of tripped into this business. And I think that the first show that I worked on was King Headley. And I remember I went in to see the show, and I sat down, and I I get the, the energy in what I do in watching people enjoy theater. Like, to watch the rise, the, 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 the energy in a, in a theater, and watching that, and the challenge of trying to in, to. It's our job to put butts in seats to sort of fill that and the, that energy is, I think, what sort of drives me most. And I, I, actually try as hard as I can to disconnect myself from the product, like from the actual show itself. I try to to just be as objective as possible, good or bad. The pro, I, I, can't disconnect myself from the people. It's sort of kind of the same thing because you become attached to people, and if you see them looking at a review that's just crushing them, you work with them for ye- some shows up to two, three years before, right. and you all the way to that one night that that is means so much whether it actually means as much as we think it means or it really in some cases it really does mean a lot it's just it's so hard to it is like you so I I get attached really I think more to the people than, than necessarily the shows themselves. Well,
3: you do try and see shows from the point of view of the people who are going to come yeah. because, I mean, that's the only way you can sort of dial in yeah. is to say, okay, I'm Joe Schmo, and keep in touch with your own Joe Schmo. And it's like, you can know too much about Absolutely. every detail, every cast member, every whatever, and lose your sense of what the consumer's going to see and what part, because we're certainly in the business, all of us, of picking out Any number of 10, 12 stories you could tell about a show, well, which one are we telling first and loudest? And so that's always – I think it's always really interesting to try and get in there and sort of put yourself in the head of the person who's going to watch it.
4: Well, and I, I think th- one of the most unfair questions to me sometimes for Broadway and was, is like when someone asks me, what did I think of the show? <laughs> and the reason I say it's unfair is it almost doesn't matter.
1: It certainly doesn't. Because it's not
4: like I can go change the show. It, and, and I look at it to say I, – when I literally watch a show, I just say, who is this show for and how do we sell it? Because that's what they pay me for. I, I, mean, have,
1: I frequently have found – loving a show is not a help it's it's an an additional burden being objective about a show is you're so right it's the audience that i feel responsible for that's my my clients are the producers my constituency is the audience and those are the people that i have to listen to and care about and it's the area in the theater where i think there is the most work to be done in customer relationships if you will i mean everything surrounding the show itself is not treated, is not, is not done as well as it might be. So if I said there's an area where vast improvement is necessary, that would be it. But it's those people that I care about as well, because I was one of those people. I was one of the people that, you know, watched company in the standing room, right, because that's all I could that. afford.
2: So <laughs> many people ask me that question. What do you do if you have to publicize a show you don't like? And I said, you do a professional job. It is and you, you ju- find, you 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 just find said the pieces it in it that it you doesn't really it.
3: matter. You find the parts mm-hmm. of it that you do like.
1: But, yeah. but also, what you bring to mind is they always ask that. What did you think of the show? Because they're not products to these people. They're children. Yeah. And this is my child. Don't dare tell me that that child it isn't beautiful. With
2: like, yeah. some clients you could. And uh, there are the occasions, you know, you'd have to do yeah. it tactfully, yeah. but you can, yeah. you know.
1: Maybe you can, but right, I right, wouldn't right. advise it. I teach a class at Columbia, and I walk in, and I say, okay, here's the first lesson. What did you think of my show? There's only one answer. I loved it. That's it. That's the answer.
3: It's a child. I think genuineness is underrated in the theatre. So you want to find a way to keep that sincerity, which means finding the things about it that you do feel great about, or finding things about it that you think a consumer will feel great about, and saying, move the conversation from you to, I think the the theatre is gonna love this, gonna love this, gonna love that.
0: Can you talk a little bit about that process of identifying the things that you think will bring in people and get butts and seats, as you said? Is there a philosophy for how yeah, that works? If you
1: have to target your audience. And this is always a, an issue with producers because they're going to tell you that their show is for everyone. And you're going to say, yes, <laughs> it is. Beautiful. but, But you don't have enough money in your budget to talk to everyone at the same time. So the first people we're going to have to talk to are those that are somewhat inclined to see your show people who go to the theater, people for whom the theater will not be the first time they've ever gone to the theater. That's a whole other issue. There is
3: money ever, ever, ever to pay people to go to the theater who don't go to the theater. And I think every producer would like to think, there are so many more people than just what we know is the theater going audience for me to talk to. Over time, possibly, yes. I mean. People have to go to the theater the first time. Families pass down that history. We are all a product of that. But in the beginning, you've got to start by thinking about what a theater goer is looking for, because that's who you're selling to.
1: And the other, you know, in, in, on Madison Avenue, targeting is a much more difficult assignment. In our world, if we make the assumption, and Drew is quite right, that the first person who's going to go to your show is someone who's already gone to the theater, well, we know who you are. We know, where you live. we know where you live. We got your email address. <laughs> we know what you paid for your last ticket. We know your dress size. I so. remember
3: we did a focus group <laughs> for color purple that was uh, we did regular focus groups and then we did an all African American focus group. We'd never done one before that was just entirely African American. And we all discussed beforehand what we thought we would find and I said I will bet you that they are more aware of being theatergoers than African American in taste. And we asked them what they were interested in seeing in Broadway, and I remember the first answer, I think, was Denzel Washington and Julius Caesar, and everyone sort of looked like, mm, uh, you, you could be going down, Drew, that, you know, they're, they're going for the African-American star, and then I asked what their second favorite show was, and it was Fiddler on the Roof. Almost universally. So, you know, they were, they all, re- and they all recognized each other absolutely as theatergoers first. All the conversations that happened in that group were about what show you saw, when you went, where you could find the best price. I hate that theater. It was entirely about their love of theater that drove them culturally, not their, you know, their own sense of their racial background.
1: So you start with who you're talking to. You figure out who you're talking to, how to reach them, which which medium is going to be most effective for the least amount of money. And then what do they need to hear? What do you need to hear to make you go to the theater? Sometimes it's not very much. If it's the right star, sometimes that's it. Star in show,
3: done. Right. We're working on a show now where there'll be an ad. Maybe there'll there'll be one. It'll be over. But the Daniel Craig, Hugh Jackson. and, there, and I should to answer the question directly it 's a woman it 's most likely a woman forty plus sometimes that number goes up, sometimes it's, that number goes it's down
1: forty five plus uh, My demographics say forty five plus I always think it 's me when it 's not me when it 's another person, you na- we name that person, we find that person and talk to them specifically. Yeah. You know We find the person in the in the office, if you will, and we target them but and we women
3: buy the tickets it 's interesting because I think we had a series of shows in the last ten years that men felt they also were welcome at, probably starting with the producers, but I think in some ways Chicago, in some ways, you know, there's a series of shows that I think... Spam a lot. And we asked women, oftentimes when we're speaking to women, who are you going to bring to this show? And there's a girlfriend, a daughter a mother, a husband. And there are oftentimes a show falls into one of those categories. You know, that you could be on a Disney show and it's going to be your family. You can, there are girlfriend shows, for sure. And then there are, with, uh, there are classics where the whole family goes. And then there's the
2: one that you think your husband might be okay with, too. We know and they're that. always happy to find that one. And we know this, and we hear this, and we say this all the time. But can we talk for one minute about why that is? W- why is that the case? Women? Only mostly only women because we know the movies that women will be inclined to see that boys will be inclined to see that girls will like that but but why, why are is women it? the drivers okay well
5: why it, is it rea- it, it's, because
2: musicals, it's a huge percentage
1: a much a much smaller it, the the di- differentiation is smaller with plays but with. With, I mean, men are more inclined yeah. to want to go to a play. Yeah, that's interesting. And with musicals, it's because men universally react like uh, I can't, it's so queer when they just burst into song. I remember my father, I said, please take me to the movie of, of West Side Story. He didn't want to go. I said, please, I want to go see it. And he said, okay, but there aren't going to be any, like, gangs. Dancing and singing are there. And I said, Oh, no, 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 no. And of course it opens and he says, How could you do this to me? But that's, it's just perceived as not
3: realistic. I think there's, I think there's just, a- we should be clear that it's women and men who are going. It's just women who make the
2: active purchase price. Right. And I, it's just an interesting decision. thing. We know this and so that's how we deal with it. That's who we sell to, right. that's who I we right. I mean try there have reach, been,
3: and there have been differences, you know, the sort of rents of this world that got younger. I think I think the younger the age maybe the less clear that differential is. Spam had
1: female resistance. Men men were mighty punchy. But I remember a focus group on the Full Monty where women said not only really would not i not go. would i not take my husband to this i had begged him and he will not go yeah. the ones who we're, go we're right. love it but the resistance was unbelievable
2: now, there's a play on broadway right now called god of carnage which is is you know shattering every kind of boundary i would have ever thought a play could ever shatter and that's a play that men are dying to see my son-in-law I, who has seen nothing asked for tickets now my James brother-in-law. Gandolfini my brother-in-law asked for tickets but he,
1: he knew it was the kind of play James Gandolfini would be in but so it's not just seeing him it's, it's endorsed
2: what he it it is an amazing thing to watch this play which grosses like a musical that you cannot get a ticket to that is a smash a in the kind of way that we haven't seen in a long, long is, time. I mean, it was a hit in London, but I don't think it
3: was It was, was this nowhere cool near smash-a-roo. this. It's
4: it, it, but it's, I, it, it's a great play. It's 90 minutes. And I think if people, and I think Gandolfini delivers on the Gandolfini people expect. Uh-huh. So I think that perfect storm, if he, if he yeah. portrayed a role he was not that people didn't expect him mm-hmm. in, I don't think you'd see the success. We have these rules, I, that's
3: like 90 minutes. We, I, I'm sure we've all asked to put 90 minutes, no intermission in the ad, because there's no question, Nancy, I, I, I think, got going. I, if all probably moved to 7 o'clock, that'd be fine by me, because everyone would love to, get, and I still don't understand. I think in a year I don't or two, not we'll The there. resistance
1: to this, I cannot understand. Everyone no wants can. to get home sooner. Everyone, everyone.
3: wants it. I mean, and, and so people would like shorter show in general. Art. A really good show that's short is the holy Grail.
1: Art was 90 minutes. We took a focus group, and we gave them two pages of quotes, and we asked them to circle their favorite quote. Twelve people circled 90 minutes of nonstop fun. They had quotes like the best show I've ever seen. They had all sorts of things. 90 minutes of nonstop fun, one hands down.
2: Regis Philbin goes on the air a few weeks ago, he has the playbill for God of Carnage, and he said, last night, Joy and I saw this fantastic play. We went on a Tuesday night, and do you know that on Broadway, they have Tuesday nights at 7? He said, Joy and I go into this play, the most fabulous play we've ever seen. We were out at 8.30, and we were at Orso by 8.45. Does it get any better than that? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> at yeah, telecharge, you true. could not – the phones exploded. You know, to be at Orso by 8:45, you can
1: actually get into Orso at 8:45 at the
2: theater. A great <laughs> night, <laughs> even better.
0: Do you, as a publicist, have like is that just a boon to you, or can you make sure? Do you call Regis Feldman and say, "Hey, can you get here and just come to the show?" Just a boon, or, yeah.
2: it, it, You know, you invite them, of course, or, yeah. but that is not something you can. Get. Regis is someone who sees a lot of theater. He's an, he's a real avid. He enjoy. I mean, they see. They've seen most of the shows I've worked on, significant shows. But it shows the power of, you know, Regis Philbin has a lot of juice with his audience. But the combination of this is a fabulous, hysterical evening. We were out by eight thirty, and you can go at seven o'clock on Tuesdays.
0: Is it easier to sell a show with a familiar, with a title that people are familiar with, for you
3: and? and or does it come with challenges? You know, I, to I have to say, it can go both ways. I think we're now in a world where, particularly this year, where it was sampling, sampling, sampling. I mean, we really saw the internet push over into the last people who were afraid of clicking here and clicking there and not will get a virus. And I think price drove it because people figured out that the one place where you could really analyze price was on the web, right? That you could sort of get that comparison shopping idea down, which means that the web is much more embraced. So you have this greater sense, I think, of sampling, because also on the web, you can sort of see, you can collect a lot of information, blogs, they didn't seem to even care, actually, who wrote the blogs. They're just looking to pile up a lot of information about a show. So in that world, obviously, something that you're familiar with gives you comfort, right? It's like getting a Big Mac in Berlin. You know, you're, you don't know what you're ordering, so I think I know what I'm getting. But it's a $125 ticket. I want something beyond the movie I can see on TNT. And I think we are starting to see quite a bit of, unless unless you can go beyond the experience that one had with familiarity, even I have a list of what I think makes a revival work. And, and I feel pretty strongly about it. It's, it's one is, um, but the property is genuinely rare, and this is the one that every producer thinks they have. But in fact, there are very few genuinely rare properties that really haven't been seen. West Side Story turns out to be one. Two, that there's a star born to play it, which again, people convince themselves they have. But every now and then that happens. Natasha Richardson in Cabaret, Nathan, know, and, faith. Nathan and, and Faith, right, right. Someone who really belongs, Chigun, you know, Reba McIntyre, someone who really transforms a production. Someone
1: who it can arguably say is better than the original. That people will go out and they'll say, you know, I saw Ethel Merman do Gypsy and Patti LuPone is better. Right. So unless there's a chance that they'll say that, don't bother.
3: And the third one is that there's a director with a really new vision, right? And and you can literally go down and say these three – now, I think one of the reasons West Side Story has done so well is they actually had all three. They had a product that literally hadn't been around a very long time. They had a woman from Buenos Aires in the lead. And and granted, it it didn't turn into Nathan, but she's beautiful and wonderful and Tony nominated. And then they had a director who was, you know, so authenticated by having worked on the original and having brought a new idea. So in that case, familiarity helps because you've got familiarity plus some really fresh elements. Whereas I think if you take a show and don't bring anything new to it, Familiarity can get you in advance,
2: and then it'll just drop off, because but people think – But – There's, there's but. also a lot of cynicism, which is – and you read – this is in the press – producers now who want to make musicals of titles that are pre-known, and you, and Ben, you. and <laughs> you all you know, collectively think – when is this, this is going to end? Of the musical. When this is, is that? I this mean, is, how many times has that been written? Except this is not to say, you know, you look at all the great Broadway musicals of the '40s, the '50s. Right, Every Rodgers and Hammerstein's, let, less three, were adaptations of books, of movies. I mean, we've been doing this forever, but it's changed. It now feels like it's necessary to ensure that something will be a success.
1: Well, it certainly doesn't ensure that right. it will it be a success. Not. So eventually they'll catch on, that that's not foolproof. A title can be very helpful. I mean, I, I Cripple of Inishman, I didn't work on, and I was th- thrilled. I don't know how. Did you work on Cripple of Inishman? No. There are some titles that you think, what was he thinking? I worked on the thinking? Tenet of Inishmore. The Tenet of Inishmore is another one. But when we got God of Carnage, I thought, oh, God. That title. I mean, you have to read through the script to find it buried in on page 36. Drowsy Why, chaperone.
3: why, why? What is a Drowsy Chaperone? But
1: drowsy Chaperone wow. may be the best example wow. of how could you do that what to me. What is that? But, but when it's good enough, it doesn't it matter. God of, be be God, God of Carnage is a great
2: big hit. There are two great stories with uh, Arthur Miller and Eugene O'Neill. Both of their producers begged them, in the case of Long Day's Journey Into Night and Death of a Salesman, (coughs) begged to not use those titles. We can't make those titles sell. Those titles don't make sense. You Uh have to understand too much about the show. No one will go to a show with death in the title. Journey Into Night sounds so negative. (laughs) And you know what they said? That's the title. If you don't want to produce it, you don't have to. But that's we've the We've been asked to name shows. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm sure you have. Yeah, we've definitely worked on naming
3: shows.
1: My favorite one was Jerome, we're on one now. Jerome mm-hmm. Robbins Broadway. Jerome Robbins Broadway didn't have a title, or so we were told. For months, we worked on the title. And finally, someone said to me, well, I guess we're going to have to call it Jerome Robbins Broadway, because that's what he wants, and it's in his contract. And I said. Why did we bother with this exercise? (laughs) He has it in his contract, and that's what he wants to call it. That's what we're going to call it. That's the name of the show. If he wants to call it God of, if she wants to call it God of Carnage, start working with God of Carnage.
0: Let's say, looking at a different kind of show, if you've got West Side Story, which obviously everyone is familiar with, how do you deal with a show that? uh, How do you market or advertise or publicize a show that? uh, You know audiences aren't going to know, something like Next to Normal or something like that. How do you, what is the, how do you, what works best in terms of the education of consumers?
3: Anything
4: you can. Well, Well, education's the right word. And you know the people, again, you're going for the lowest hanging fruit. You know exactly who those people are. And that pool of people is big enough to get you off the ground, right? Like that that, that universe of people that we're going to talk to, be email, direct mail, targeted, advertising, whatever it is. So I think it's the, the, the right. messaging that we're putting in front of them and Price what's going right, yeah. to get them off. Price will will get them to sample. You're talking to a multi-buyer who buys
3: – I mean, we see these people in research where they're seeing hundred nights of theatre a year or so. I mean, there are people who will see a new musical, because they love new musicals or a new play. And so some of that is literally just, here's what it is. In direct mail and email blast, you're talking at length. You can really talk about a plot. You can talk about a creative team. You know, you may not know what this is, but it's brought to you by these people who are proven to really know what they're doing. We all do that a lot. It's really rare that you get a brand new thing that's by totally brand new people. There may be even two of the five that are new, but the other three have been here before and done some good things.
1: And those people, those people who go to see everything, fortunately, not only do they go to see everything, but they're regarded in their office or their community as the person you ask about theater. If you can so find ask them. Helen. So we find the Helens. Ask
2: Helen. She sees everything. Exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly. And so we find those people and and try to get them in as soon as possible.
2: I mean,
3: viral has become more important. Web has become more important. You can do things on the web. You can showcase elements on the web you couldn't before. Because print, I think, is not as easy to express as much. And I am sort of started as a print designer. You know, TV, I mean, we're all launching things now. Sometimes we're launching plays with TV commercials. Oftentimes I think that's working best on shows with a face that's known from TV, but on I launched In the Heights with a TV commercial. It was sort of the only way to start getting people to understand what it was really all about, and it worked. It's great spot. Well, yeah. I, I, I think in the end, you just have to get information out there for people to start feeling Jersey Boys
1: was a show that was, on, that was a hit almost Jersey. from the start, but it never went off television. It went on television on opening night and that's has stayed crazy. on television right. as a strategy because it's, there's something that we needed to prove with that show early on, which was that there was a story. It wasn't a concert. And so we showed book scenes interspersed with music. And there was no other way to do that except television.
3: Sometimes you can take the weakest part of a show. I-, I love to do this, actually, to look at a show that has a lot of strength, find the pothole and figure out how the marketing can fill it. Chicago, the whole campaign is based on the fact that I think, Liz Smith, I think Liz Smith wrote it. It was in a column when it was at Encores, and it said, "Who is going to pay $75, the top price then, for a glorified concerts with no sets and no costumes? And remember, we had hydraulic chandeliers, we had all these elements. And so I said, okay, that's the biggest problem we have, is that the minimalism, how do we own the minimalism? And so we were thinking and thinking, and came up with the idea that fashion photography, no one says Calvin Klein didn't have the money for color That in that world, that look, that black and white look. So it wasn't really that I thought, wouldn't it be cool to do black and white pictures? It was, let's solve a marketing problem. And to me, that was the most, the strongest one, was that the show is so stripped down and and, uh, showgoers weren't really used to that. So sometimes you actually take the the weakest place and say, okay, I'm going to drive this. It's an
1: absolute valid strategy. With Nicholas Nickleby, the headline was the, the biggest problem the ticket is $100. The experience is priceless. Why right. give it Set why it bury it? You know, and let them discuss it. Let's go for it and get it out mm-hmm. of the way. And right. that proved to be their hook.
3: We never said it, although I would have but on August, when we realized we had this amazing play that was th- over three hours long, I said, Okay, then the picture the poster has to look let's just put everybody on the like the the house, all the people, I would have put the stage hands in the picture because it just had to look like if there was no way of making that thing seem like 90 minutes, so you've got to go the other way and say, so this is an epic <coughs> event that you want to be part of.
2: The thing that I haven't really cracked, and, and what we do is important to the show, but I'd be curious to see what you all think. The one thing we have no control over, none, is word of mouth. Which is, when you're in Jersey and you're hanging your laundry out in the morning, and your next-door neighbor says, what did you do last night? And You say, I saw Coffee Cup the Musical. Well, what did you think? We now live in a world where I think you have to say it was great to sell a ticket. Not it was good. Not it was good. It was great.
1: Absolutely.
2: And and what makes Sadie think say she coffee cup was great is not anything we can we don't have any control over. At the
1: end of the day, it's about what's on
4: the stage. At the end of the day, that's. What it's really about? I do think there's there's some change. I think the advent of Facebook has gone a long way towards that, towards helping that. Because like if you go and you love the show, and there's a lot of people that are uh, tweeting out exactly, like just walked out of the show is amazing, and then that automatically updates their Facebook pr- profile. And I think that's one of the fantastic things about Facebook is yeah. that it, the very essence of word of mouth is going one layer past that person. And right. immediately. And immediately. You don't have and to be hanging your laundry yeah. out. And and I think like so like on Spring Awakening, we worked on Spring Awakening and, and these guys shot an awesome uh, the, the video that we sort of GET out there. So how do we get this out there? We ran video, we put it everywhere that ran through a variety of social networking channels. Spring Awakening had producers that actually, we had people doing uh, Mark and Pun were managing the social networking piece. Um, and, and the video, we put it everywhere in our advertising. And I think that that definitely helped. Like that was a huge driver in reaching audiences. And then I think the one piece for advertising a show is PR. I think it's by far publicity in terms of getting the word out. Cause that's, if I see all the spikes, it's like taking a Spring Awakening. It's like buzz, 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 and then reinforcement in like a third Reinforcer. party endorsement. Yeah. And I think publicity is just like, you see these like, and the, I think yeah, the, the new
3: way of selling like, now, I would say, is you have to hit all the pieces to line up. You know, yeah. The mail has to be landing while the TV comes in and then the radio's over here and then John gets a press appearance and it all has to come together at the same time yeah. to sort of break out of the clutter. I, I'd say that a lot of people's lives are editing, right? I mean, you take the mail when you get home, and you take that stack, and you throw out as much as you can before you start opening. Because yeah. there's just too—and I think that that's what you do with almost everything in your life, right? You decide. Too many TV shows, too many things. Too many things want your attention. So you've got to figure out some way to hit, get critical mass that someone notices.
1: And the interesting yeah. thing about editing your, out your life, I was wondering why this class that I teach at Columbia, everybody is, I would say, 22 to 30. And I asked them about products and what had they seen and I noticed a trend and I said you know all these products that you're mentioning are on outdoor and they said well that's the only thing we see we delete everything else and everything else you can delete but they're out on the streets of New York and so they saw the buses they saw the the phone shelters they see the the billboards the most old-fashioned form of advertising in the world and yet it has incredible power because you can't delete it you can't get rid of that bus that's in front of you. Right.
0: It's interesting. interesting. Once you've got a buzz going, how do you sustain it and build on it? And who do you expand your sort of targeting to?
1: Well, you expand geographically. I mean, obviously, Manhattan, people who have access to the theater district without a great deal of effort, that they're easier to sell to than people who live. So you, you expand geographically. You have a tourist initiative, which gets people coming in from out of town. You start to— it's, I mean, it's, You
3: start to learn. I mean, you know, some of it is that you're you're there, you're seeing who's coming, and saying, I think I see a family audience coming to hair now that Robin Pogerman has written in the Times that it was a great show to kids to. Okay, what are we going to do with that? That's a surprise. Didn't expect that. So that happens. With The Lion King, we went the other
1: way. With The Lion King, we knew it was going to sell well to that audience. What we started seeing about, oh, I guess three months in, where people were two couples were going and we thought what did these people buy four tickets thinking they were taking their kids then it turned into a great big hit they dumped the kids and took the, the boss and his wife so it got older but that's very very rare usually
3: it goes this way rent had a buying pattern of three tickets two and then one three rows back that we started to spot and we could not figure out what was happening and that's when we figured out it was a lot of teenagers first shows and they were going with their friend and they were embarrassed to sit with their mother and so the third ticket in the triangle was always the mother three rows back because they wanted to be on their own and independent. And, and the that, mother but didn't want to sit there up.
1: next to them during some right, of the parts of rent. Yeah, <laughs> that's right.
3: But so that opened up I mean once you understood that that told you so much about what was going on and who was going to rent and how you where you might look for that.
2: And that's when publicity gets to be a nightmare. Because sustaining the buzz in a world that burns as fast as this world burns, and a media that burns this quickly, movies—the publicist gets the movie open, right? And the movies on doesn't to the next. have to go, day after and, day and, for and they for give 11, John people. They say, "Well, we've got
1: a new star coming in," and they name somebody who you never heard of. <laughs> and right. say, you can't get him
2: on all the right. talk shows? <laughs> it's it's when it becomes very very hard. And and because you know the media isn't that interested unless you have a hook. But I will say this is one place where clients they do tend to ask the publicist, "Do you think this person would get publicity?" Yeah, they, they ask us. They right. do they ask. ask yeah. They ask them if they'll sell tickets. Yeah, and you, they say, you "Can, get can, can you or get or them off? on on talk shows? Could you get them interviewed?" And there,
4: I think you can be very honest.
2: Yeah, yeah and you and have to
4: you, you really know. We do web searches for them. Like a lot of times they'll say, what do you think? And we'll do a profile for them and say, here's what their web activity looks like. So they have an idea of what's a snapshot of this person.
3: Right. So right. that's less of a guess than it used to be. Yes. But,
4: uh, the, the one thing I would say, though, is that the, uh, from the interactive side, the good thing is, especially when a show has a little bit of a name, you can begin to move them, We usually, like the gum at the register. You can kind of move them to a place. And online, the the nice thing that we've been able to do is that you now really target on action more so than necessarily demographic. Someone will, do, so if you're on Expedia and you're booking a trip to New York and you're looking at the entertainment section, I say, here's a tourist coming to New York. They're looking for entertainment. So all of a sudden, that's, shows with some name recognition, I can start putting into that space. If you're a brand new show, it's a much bigger risk and there's, it's, Little bit more difficult to convert that person, and, which goes back to Nancy's very first point, which
3: is money and how much there is to every dollar's got to turn. Yeah, so you know, there are things you'd like to try there that you know, would we all love to do what Vegas does and put advertising in feeder markets before people get here in outdoor? We really would, we really would, and we just can't quite afford it. It's just
1: so not the web is probably the
3: first place we've had in a long time where you could actually reach someone before they get here so much of what we've been doing for a long time reaches people once they're from all over the world but once they're here whereas the forum although we are finding that a lot of people don't make a decision what show they want to see until they arrive so now we're seeing new techniques trying to get to those people unfortunately
1: uh, they go directly to the tkts booth which sells them a half-price ticket so there there are some there's some major marketing obstacles in this whole game
4: well, I'd say the good thing is you at least track the the amount of track we have web data, a, a, you know, advertising data. So everything is is ultimately becoming more and more trackable. I think the ticketing systems are making a lot of really good changes that are gonna, that, that have either come or they're about to come. That that allows to know, know more about the. About I was going to say, You've got me,
3: Damian. No, no,
4: no, I, no, because we're seeing. No, no, I'm actually seeing it happen. And <laughs> like see, raising the prices well, of I'm, the I, s- <laughs> service charge
1: when you print your ticket at home. Well, I. Well, what, what what would be the good part about that?
4: No, but I think the. What I think, like for example, I think when you buy a ticket, okay. So I to me, the ticket buying experiences begins right when you purchase that ticket, till when you leave the theater. So mm-hmm. it's getting to the theater—that entire experience. Our right, ticketing systems are working better on doing pre-trip emails, uh, after the show, post-trip emails. What did you think of the show? I, there's a lot of different technology and stuff, and they know because they've seen their business—the way their complete business is like a telecharge. Their model has completely changed in terms of seven, what is it, 70 or 80 percent of single tickets are now sold online. And, and, I, and that it's was a huge in cons- the
3: last five years. And
4: that's a consumer driven push, which is most interesting. It's not like everyone sat around and said, let's get from phone banks to online. It's like consumers said, no, 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 I want online. It's not like they invest a lot of money in front. Where they're going to sit. Yeah. It's right. such a better and way it, of that's buying. such yeah. a great way to buy. There's still, yeah. By
3: the way, there's still an idea, you'll hear it. focus group back to focus group, that if you wait in line in the box office, you get they have seats. better at seats. It's so untrue. Uh, it's just amazing that they think there's some different pool. I think it's, but, I, but I, it goes, you know where I think it comes from? I think it comes from house seats that get released. Yeah, but it, I literally think there's one four-minute section of the day where a few Absolutely, where yes, people have yeah. had the
1: experience of going to the box office and buying great seats at the last minute. Yes. They've gone back, yeah. told somebody, and that it's out there. It's yes. out in the ether. If you go but to the box
3: office, you can get a seven o'clock.
1: you don't pay the service charges at the, yeah, at the box office, are. so you're reinforced. Yeah. Now you've got a great seat, and you didn't pay more for it. What is that message does that send? I mean, the focus groups that I've been conducting don't have nice things to say about the, the ticket.
4: Well, well, I think pr- I think getting fees, getting better. Yeah, I think I, I think it's I think it's I think it's put way. I think it's only going to get much better. I think people are going to start moving towards mobile technology. I think if you look back two or three you look back two or three years from today, and now you look two or three years going forward from today. I think you look at the transformation of change that's going to happen. That's already beginning to happen, and I just know from what the ticketing systems are actually doing and what's in process, it's going to be exciting. And I yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not going to I'm not a fan of the whatever, $8 transaction, whatever the fees are at this point, because I think it's brutal. Um, and in doing. Any, the you know?
3: operators, I mean, these are problems, but the operators aren't here, so they haven't seen the shows, and people really want information. We've gotten on the line of the TKTS booth. It's amazing. People will turn to, in front and in back. They just get on the line. They're hoping someone will fill them in as to what's a good show. And actually, people who love theater love it so much that they do, and they, they say, oh, honey, here's what you see. See this, see this, see this, see this.
1: It's really a, it's a good thing that there are so many New York bargain Hunters in that line at TKTS, because they are the, the people that explain Broadway, to the out-of-towners. We've
0: talked quite a bit about individual shows. Uh, what about Broadway overall as a brand? How
3: is it a brand? a category. Uh, yeah. well, you and I disagree on this one. You, this has been, kick, well, there's been discussion as to whether or not there can be a Got Milk campaign for Broadway or not. And who feels like I think like there it. can be, and Nancy thinks there can't be, right? Oh, you I think there like can it. be.
1: I oh, just I don't think it can be done by Broadway. Somebody like New York City (laughs) has to do it. Broadway is a collection. The League is a collection of people who do not have a common goal. The theater owners and the producers are the landlords and the tenants. I've never been to a landlord-tenant committee meeting, but on Broadway, they ostensibly work together. Um, They all would prefer to see their show win and the show next door close. But mostly, somebody's got to sit outside as we sit outside the show and say, do that and do that. If you were making a commercial that was going to sell Broadway to people in Michigan, I've been watching Michigan commercials all over the place lately. And I think, what are we doing to say, come come to New York? That's the province of NYC and company. They did a commercial for New York. It featured only the only thing from Broadway was three characters, Muppets, like characters from Avenue Q on the top of a bus, and they said that represented Broadway. Well, you didn't know that they were from Avenue Q. It looked like the Muppet Take Manhattan. Broadway needs to be sold by a, a third party. And I would put it to you that it should be NYC and Company, that we are the number one tourist attraction, and it can
2: be sold. The state. And then I, I have to say, I had this, this is so overwritten these days, but I did have this sense of pride when. President Obama said I promised Michelle I would take her to New York and to a Broadway show. Right. And that those not just to New York, right. The kids got a puppy and Michelle got a Broadway show. And he made these promises and the idea that he put New York and Broadway together and that's what he wanted to do, and that's what you know she wanted to do. It was pretty amazing. It was, yeah. it was pretty so, amazing. Because he said the words, Broadway show, yep. over and over and over. And there was, when we 9-11, you know, and,
3: and we you know, got a good commercial out there, and we got rolling, but the interesting thing was that we did have a, a mayor who said, see a Broadway show, and behind the scenes, we were definitely told, you guys get this thing up and running now, because this is the symbol that New York is restarted. So... For, we're a little all frustrated that if we are the symbol of new york and the new york economy we are somewhat taken for granted
1: that is that is that is putting it mildly yeah. we really are taken for granted there's a mayor's commissioner she's a lovely lady on lovely lady. film television and broadway
3: Right, and film is, film drives it. That because film it's perceived it. that the, the, the fees that they pay for location, it's just, you're just very aware that film is driving the entertainment dollars in New York. But in fact, if you look at the numbers, we Broadway are. is a huge part of the New York New York City. So I think we, Nancy's frustration is mine, which is that we, we have to sell show by show there's no there's no other there's, there's nobody no else rough. defending the broader viewpoint that's why every now and then when you get a rosie o'donnell or someone in the media who actually decides or to obama really who says embrace, a broadway show it's such a huge gift because we just don't have that all the time We're, or, or you know an anchor who loves to go out or a regis or you know someone who really mm-hmm. loves it because we we I think, in fact, most people hear more in the media from people who are critical of Broadway than love it, but there are so many more people who love it than are critical. You know, we were talking about news writers in the paper who write only negative things, and you don't get the sense that the people who are writing it actually care for the medium. You know? I mean, it's one thing to think this isn't up to snuff, but it's another to think, I'm not really interested in Broadway anyways, but I have to
2: write this thing. It's why I love publicity, too, because it, that transcending into another uh, Billy Elliot wins the Tony on Sunday night, and there's a message on my voicemail from Charles Gibson that they want the boys on ABC World News tonight, the next night. And that way in which they kind of burst through and go on World News Tonight, and that is so thrilling to me. You know, that is, that's how I experienced Broadway as a kid. I saw it on the news, I saw it on Live at Five. I, that's that's how I got it. And so, you know, you think six million people tonight are going to watch ABC World News tonight. And see these Broadway
1: boys. used to be on the cover of Time magazine. Mm.
2: Relatively I
3: mean, often. I do think this uh, marketing in general, one of the nice things that's happened in the last 12 years, I really think we have broadened who we're speaking to and how we're speaking to them. I think there are many. Broader cultural people, age people. We've had a much broader, if, if the bandwidth of Broadway was this wide 15 years ago, I think it's wider now. I think there are more, I, oh, I, I yeah. think it's starting to keep up with other popular entertainments where it was always called this invalid, this niche thing. I don't think it is at all. I think it's much more populist in what we're turning out and in who's going.
4: And I think people just have, I, again, I'm, I think the internet has opened up the access to information is probably one of the biggest pieces. Because right. you always think about reviews. Reviews come out, and correct me if I'm wrong, like 15 years ago, if a Harvard Review came out, where does it, seven days later, where does that review live? And shows used to close opening night. Do you remember that? Absolutely. I think we started to talk in the language of different people
3: instead of sort of one Broadway language, and that helps a lot. I mean, that was how I got my start on rent, was sort of, I was that, it's the easiest thing in the world is to market to yourself, and on rent, I happened to be the guy who was there to love that show instead of marketing to myself. Um, but I, I think we've gotten a little bit better at speaking in different voices on different projects, so that someone because they're all looking, you know, they're looking for the invitation. They're looking for someone to say, "This is for you, Gordon. You're going to love this." And that's really actually what we do. We take shows and look at them and say, "You know, who's going to love this?" Yep. And that when, song, when a show that, that you don't that you don't moment.
1: even plan to target a certain audience, but they self-select. Yeah. And in the case of Wicked, nobody targeted teenage girls. Nobody made any effort to get teenage girls. Teenage girls just happened to be the ones with the greatest access, access to other teenage girls, the greatest number of gadgets, the most facility with texting. And we noticed that they were sitting in the theater, and they were calling an intermission, their girlfriends, to tell them about this show that they discovered. So that audience found itself and decided to multiply. And the word gets out. And it's, it is easier than it used to be. Absolutely, there are many more avenues.
4: Uh, you know, just one point about when you, I, I think Nancy's point about Broadway being uh, a category, and I, I've heard you say it a long time ago. I think it is right. On, it's like one of the truest statements, and I think it's something that gets, I, I think the, the reality is we don't, there's so many variables. There's not like one consistent Broadway experience. There's different ticketing systems. We don't control the way we really talk to them yet. I think that will change. Uh, when a show goes on the road, that gets even more complicated. So is Broadway considered a brand on the road? I just think there's so many different variables that, like, TO MAKE IT LIKE A TRUE BRAND, WE DON'T really con- we don't CONTROL SO MUCH. You DOESN'T MEET ANY OF THE TESTS
1: OF A BRAND. A BRAND IS SOMETHING THAT IF YOU DO ONE, THEN YOU CAN COUNT THAT THE NEXT WILL BE EXACTLY LIKE IT OR yeah. WILL HAVE THE SAME QUALITIES OF IT. IT'S A CATEGORY THAT IS BELOVED. Yeah. OBAMA CAN SAY, I'M TAKING HER TO A BROADWAY SHOW, AND THAT'S A GREAT NIGHT ON THE TOWN. IT DOESN'T MATTER WHAT SHOW IT IS. BUT IT'S NOT ENOUGH TO BE A BROADWAY SHOW. THAT ISN'T ENOUGH. You're not on an automatic hit because you're on Broadway, right. Right. and that's been proven. And so it, it, it's unfortunate that there is no one who is working, selling the category, because it would be an enormous – I got into this business when Wells, Rich and Green was doing the I Love New York campaign, and it was all Broadway shows, and it was in the worst part of the 70s, and everything was very, very bleak. But we had that, and that was all that we needed. All across the country, they watched I Love New York.
2: God, I loved those commercials. People loved
1: those commercials. And you know, they were done without the consent or advice of any of the shows that appeared in. Wells, Rich and Green said, I'd like to use a chorus line. Well, we want to know where we're going in the commercial. Then I'm sorry, you don't have to be in the commercial. And you need that outside person with authority who can say, no, 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 we're calling the shots. We're going to put the shows that we want in this spot. And it worked.
2: It sure did.
3: And it creates business not just immediately, but down the road. I mean, we're all here. That's one of the things about Broadway. We have to constantly be getting new people to see Broadway so that down the road they're developing into ongoing theater lovers. You
1: know, people targeting, like, a 33-year-old is very, very difficult. Wait five years. They'll move to New Jersey. They'll have two kids, and you can get them to go see Little Mermaid. You have to get these people at the time of their lives when there's a reason for them to come. So something you do today can have enormous impact five years from now.
0: All right, well, I think that is a good time to wrap this up. Thanks for joining me.
2: Thank you, thank you. And
0: thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Gordon
5: Cox. And thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theatre. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strausson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits and since they began have distributed nearly three million dollars. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC and our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free, on demand, from our website, americantheaterwing.org. Thanks for your interest in the Wing, and thanks for watching.